0: Good morning. You're right; it did fill in. <laughs> it's good to be with you all. Uh, ton of new faces. I think it's been we were trying to figure out three or four years uh, since I've been here. Um, when the I always forget. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced David's last name right, Thice or Thies. <laughs> but uh, them and the Morrisons and this place was just there was about this many chairs, wasn't there? We'd set up and. Uh, It's a joy to see uh, the faces uh, from every nation when I come here, and um, it's just a a wonderful testimony to what God does with His church. Uh, No matter who the pastor is, He builds His church, and it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, The Watsika church plant that was mentioned, I think, by Scott is uh, the same thing. I went there when they were meeting in a railroad depot in Watsika, and they were just Hap- they couldn't believe somebody would come and preach. And just this, this small group of guys, really talented musicians from Nashville and uh, alcoholics and everything else recovered there. And, and praise the Lord that they're moving on as well. The text this morning is going to be uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, about halfway through your Old Testament, uh, right after the book of Proverbs in the uh, wisdom section. Ecclesiastes 3, uh, Luke had mentioned that it's upbeat. I don't know if he was being uh, uh, facetious or not, but it is actually both. Uh, Ecclesiastes is um, one of those books that is, um, it's wisdom literature, so it makes you think. <laughs> it's not a do this and live. It is telling of the deep things of God and the mysteries of Our world it's philosophical wisdom not so much always straightforward though we'll try to make it more of that here this morning it's honest about the fallenness of our world and often leaves you wanting good news as it chants all is vanity all is vanity so Ecclesiastes 3 I'm going to read the first 15 verses Here, if you look with me, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. What gain has the worker from all his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people be, people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Our Father, as we attempt in our feebleness to draw near to you now, we know that it's really you that must draw near to us. Thank you for the the word that's living, that it's active, that it's powerful to encourage us and change our life. And we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would draw near and speak to us, wherever each of us are at, in a different place, probably, But your word will speak to us all now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Betsy grew up in a Midwestern town, but always wanted to explore the world. When her parents divorced in high school, she chose to go to college out west at UCLA. She traveled abroad for two years, met a great guy, moved back to New York City where she works for a designer Well, her boyfriend works at a major investment bank. They love to go to plays, restaurants, museums, travel. Occasionally, even back home every other year for Christmas. Susie grew up on a farm in small Indiana town. She was homeschooled. She grew up helping with her siblings. She was one of eight kids. She met her future husband in town and was married at age 20. She has three babies, enjoys being a mother, and has never been out of the country. In fact, she spent 99% of her life in this 10-square-mile radius. Two opposite lives, yet both, in a sense, filled with a strange absurdity. Betsy's chasing, dreaming, running, hoping there's more, aching deep down that there's more, aching for normalcy. Whereas Susie's staying content, yet in some ways asking for more adventure deep down. Two stories made up completely. (laughs) But two stories to tell you that all of us, no matter where you're at, you're living with unmet longings. Ecclesiastes speaks to us all to that end with you and I were made, just with all of this glory, as we like to say, were made in the image of God. Every one of you here, man, woman, made in the image of God. And yet, it's a fallen world, and the preacher of Ecclesiastes is trying to, to give us wisdom going through. They call him Koheleth, and he's the preacher to the assembly, and he's honest about life. He's honest about the good gifts of God, and he's honest about the fallenness of our world. And he's, in a sense, saying in one sense, everything is mundane. It's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Yet in another sense, everything has this wonderful beauty, and your life is shot through with the glory of God. And that's our, tech, that's our focus this morning. God has placed eternity in your hearts and he set you in a world that is endlessly complex, realistically fallen, and so you'll always be living with these unmet longings. So the question then this morning is, how can we live in such a way to redeem the time that he's given us while living with these unmet longings? The preacher, first of all, says, it's good to surrender Ultimate control of your times. It's good to surrender ultimate control of your times. If you look at verse 14 and 15, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. There is a permanence that is meant to make us fear God. There is a permanence that is meant to make us fear God. What does that mean? I I had a family member, it was my mother, actually, that was involved in a car crash over Christmas, and I get the call. 10 a.m. in the morning, the sister calls, mom's been in a crash, the car's totaled, that's all I know, here's the intersection. I don't know what I'm driving up onto. Could be a funeral, could be not not so bad, pull up, they're gone, they've taken it away, she's 100% okay, car going 50 miles an hour, guy went right through the stoplight, fell asleep at the wheel, T-boned her, not a broken bone, nothing wrong. But these types of things have a sense of waking us up. They have a sense of saying, you know, you're driving along one minute, boom, next thing you know you're in a car crash and there was nothing you were going to do about it. (laughs) It's good to surrender the ultimate control of your times. The inability to change your times and the inevitability in your times. That which is already has been in verse 15. That which is to be already has been. You may have heard the old Calvinist joke of what did the man say when he fell down the staircase? Man, I'm glad that's over. If you're not into theology, you may not get it. We're nerds in the PCA sometimes. How do we really apply this? Understanding and surrender of of the sovereign inability of life is an enormous pressure release if you're somebody who is prone to an anxious soul. If you struggle with anxiety, ladies, I'm learning more and more as the years go by that women have all these thoughts going around in their head all the time, and men are anxious too. But there is a huge release that comes when you just step back and say, a sovereign God who made me is completely in control of my times. There's a way to live where you're a control freak, and if things don't go just as you planned or hoped, there is a death, bitterness, anger, unthankfulness. You're building a standard there. You're building a standard that nobody's ever gonna meet for you. Surrendering ultimate control of your times. I have an, another car crash story, a friend years ago was converted this way, he's driving along, drives off the road somehow, I don't know how, totals his car, he's laying in a ditch and he looks up at the Lord, gives him the middle finger and said, is that all you got? Then he passes out. He came to Christ a couple months later. (laughs) Surrendering control of your times. And you see this around, you know, older, elderly people are either the most gracious, loving, merciful, tender people you would ever want to be around and that you just flock to because they're good for your soul or they're the most cynical, bitter angry people because of these years and decades now that have caught up without surrendering, releasing control of the times. And so um, it's good to surrender the ultimate control of your time. Secondly, the preacher Kahela says it's better to wisely perceive the beauty in all sorts of times. It's better to perceive beauty in all sorts of times. You say, better than what? It's just better to perceive beauty in all sorts of times. And so we get this poem that even as I'm reading it, you're thinking, wow, this is a lot. (laughs) And verse 1 through 8 goes through all these different sorts of times. And this is wisdom literature. And what wisdom does is it takes the times and it matches the times with the circumstances fittingly. And so the context matters for everything in life. You could be speaking a message in the wrong time and it could be a great message, but it's, it's, it's misdirected. It misses the bullseye. So we're all born into a specific time and every season of life has a particular way that the wisdom literature is calling us to, by the grace of God, respond. And it shows existential, which is a big word <laughs> that you could barely pronounce, and I'm a theologian somewhat. It has to do with your existence. Ex- existential. A time to be born a time to die. You were born when you were born. You were born to the family that you were born to. You were born in the country that you were born in. You go to the school that you go to. A time to be born and a time to die. I think of that old, that famous movie in the Shawshank Redemption. Many of you probably seen the prisoner sitting there. He's in prison, wrongfully convicted for life and he's sitting with his buddy for life and and the buddy looks at him and he's, he's wanting to just live and his friend says, you better get busy living or get busy dying, buddy. There's a time to live and a time to be born and a time to die a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And the fool reverses these. The fool reverses these. He is dancing on the grave, so to speak, the the story in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Belshazzar, the king, is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian empire is about to come to the end and that night he calls everybody together and he's eating and he's drinking and you see the mysterious handwriting that's going on the wall announcing his judgment and that very night Belshazzar shows the epitome of what it is to be a fool as he is dancing when judgment is at his door the very next day And so, Scripture calls us, though, to, uh, not necessarily related to that, but a mourning. There is a time to mourn. Sometimes it's a wake-up call to our emotions when someone very close to us maybe passes away or something, and where's the emotion? God's called us to embrace uh, the emotions and to mourn. They mourned for Jacob for days when he died in the Old Testament. It's good to get up and eulogize someone. There's a time to mourn your losses, to weep with those who weep. And yet there's a time to to dance. There's a time to be joyful. There's a time to party. There's time to go to a wedding and just get down on the dance floor if you want to. There's a time to laugh and a time to dance. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. This has to do with circumstances that I was mentioning. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. The sound of music, there's a scene in there as the Ventrop family is going to, the, very wisely and shrewdly, they've orchestrated this way to uh, escape from the rise of, uh, the Nazi empire that's converging all around him, and they, the guy who set them up to speak at the festival and they, uh, comes up and they say, everyone's cross these days. And he said, everybody's cross these days. And yet he wasn't speaking. It wasn't the time to speak. It was already too far deep in. It wasn't wise at that point to speak. It was wise to speak maybe five years earlier. Now they're just trying to preserve their life. There's a time to act. There's a time to speak. X, all those things have to do with your existence. Then relationally, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Embracing time to break down, a time to build up, a time to tear, time to sow. God directs the paths. And you, you may have experienced this in your life, especially so those of you who are in the college years or the post-grad years, and you have these great relationships that get built, and then you're gone. You're on to another season of life, and you think, what What, what happened? what happened and it's not always anything wrong that happened it's just the way it is in life and the the to and fro of the seasons of life that you make wonderful friends and by God's grace some of you some of us have friends that have been there forever and will be till the end but other people come in and out of your life and praise the Lord There's a time to break down and a time to build up. The parents with kids know this. There's a time to discipline. There's a time to make them work really hard. There's time to go deeper and deeper and teach them a good lesson. But then there's a time to really build them up. And if they have a bad game, you tell them it wasn't how many points you scored or whatever. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's small things in love. There's self-love. There's self-hatred. There's a time to have self-hatred. There's a time to have self-love and speak the gospel to yourself. I had somebody call this week and say, do you ever just need somebody to tell you the gospel today? I said, yeah, imagine when you have to preach. And so, if you're prone to those thoughts that just trying to be a perfectionist or you get self hatred all the time, there's back to the point one release your times to the Lord. So, existentially, relationally, culturally, and generationally, this ecclesiastical preacher speaks into the times. And whole and it invites us now to step back and take the big picture view. Some of you aren't from the United States, but in the United States, there's this broad decades where there's been these seasons of Vietnam War in the 60s that seemed so misplaced, that seemed like such a waste and people treated, the great veterans were treated poorly when they came back because people thought this was a waste, and then they foolishly disrespected the veterans who were just fighting and doing their job, but that cast this shadow over the country and world wars and the, the, but, but when all those wars ended, it was Camelot in the United States, probably as close as you're gonna get to Camelot, or it didn't cost $12 to go get a sandwich. But the Lord is always moving. He's doing things generationally. His, his slowness is not the way that we count slowness. And so he brings different generations up that will rebel against the past generation, but, but some of it's good and some of it's bad. To the old staunch, self-righteous generation, he brings the next one that says, why do you gotta wear a suit to church every Sunday? And some of that's good, and some maybe we should wear a suit sometimes on Sunday. I don't know, but you see what I'm saying, that the Lord is not leaving us in the same place, and he brings in what has been largely exhausted in the postmodern world and uh, millennial now world where every generation is in a sense clashing, but also adding something that's very valuable for the next generation. You all can think through that in small groups and have discussion. A time to plant and a time to pluck up. You might plant a garden that sometime decades later, somebody might put grass there or a parking lot And Ecclesiastes would say, it's all vanity. Does that mean that it's fatalism? No. It means plant the garden to the glory of God. He's made it all beautiful in its time. There's an appropriateness, there's a congruency, there's beauty and ashes. And as, you, as I th- think through this, it can become a very trite word to those who are suffering. That, oh, everything's beautiful and it's time. How in the world can the horrors of a wife with cancer for the fourth time be beautiful Those are the questions that God invites us to ask in the wisdom literature. Those are the questions the psalmist is asking. The guy who leads worship in our Christ church back home. His name's Don. He he was married. His first wife died of cancer. Got remarried. Second wife, cancer. Cured of cancer, cancer again. Cured of it, cured again. Just last night, another email. They were doing great bad news it's spread and I went to Don last week and I looked at him and just said why do you get all the suffering and he looks at me with a tear in his eye and says I have no idea but guess what that same guy is up leading God's people every week right up here Praising the Lord with tears in his eyes. God's ways are not our ways. And they're impossible to understand. The last point, the preacher Cahillus says it's best to joyously receive God's ordinary gifts at all times. Verse 12 and 13 will speak to this. What are they? Verse 12 says nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's good gift to man. What's he saying? The good life. The good life is with people. I live in the country It's an escape route for me to get away from people. (laughs) But the good life is with people. The good life is going out for a meal together. The good life is meeting together in each other's homes. The good life is doing absurdly ordinary things that we do three times a day, eating and drinking. (laughs) Why in the world do we eat and drink three times a day I don't know. But Ecclesiastes says it's good. You ever have fellowship with somebody without ever having a meal with them? Or you might meet a stranger and you engage in a two-hour long meal and you feel like you knew him forever? I don't know what it is. Something about the table. The good life amidst toil getting into your work, really into your work, where you know God has made you just to do that. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about who came maybe to this university to, to have one vocation. And you know as you study along and you, you do your lab work or you, you're engaged in, in trials or whatever, that God has made you to do that and you only, and it is a wonderful thing. And Ecclesiastes said to really just dive into it. And that's your calling in life. That's that's the Gospel. (laughs) The good life amidst toil. Everything beautiful, everything a gift, but if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you don't fully grasp what that is to be a Christian, to put all your faith and trust in someone outside of yourself who went to the cross for you to purchase your life, to cover over all your sin, and to give you a righteous Life, only for the righteousness of Christ. Without that, none of this can make sense because you cannot really have a truly beautiful life where everything is beautiful in its time because that other one was born in a perfect time. The scriptures, the gospel said it was the fullness of time. It was a time to break down the old systems. It was a time to call out the self-righteous Pharisees. It was a time to take the prostitute and build her up and say, your sins are forgiven. It was a time to weep over his people. It was a time to weep over death. It was a time to seek and save the lost. But it was... Also, a time for war. It was a time for war on the Prince of Peace. It was a time to hate the only one who ever loved perfectly. It was a time to cast him away. It was a time to laugh and a time to mock It was a time to condemn. It was a time to kill. And it was a time to die. Jesus Christ entered into this world of Ecclesiastes in the perfect fullness of time. And he lived it perfectly with, as a man, the unmet longings Of what his kingdom would be one day he surrendered the ultimate control of his times even to the end father if you would let this cup pass if there's anything that would you that you could do that would prevent me from doing this but I surrender ultimate control of my times he showed the beauty in all sorts of times and he was the table he took He took the most pleasure at the table with his disciples, breaking the bread. Gathered on the night of his own betrayal before finishing his work. Eternity was set in his heart. And he wants you to join him. The time that you were converted or the time that you will be converted is a beautiful time. And I'll close with an illustration from a pastor that's familiar to us. It's just fitting. This is a text that you would see in a lot of funerals and a lot of weddings. But he came to went to seminary decades ago, and his first two funerals were each of his parents. He's a couple months on the job, leads his father to the gospel. Father dies. First funeral, his dad. Year later, give or take, mama dies. Second funeral, is mama. And that same man has plotted it out for 20 years, preaching the gospel or more than that. And his youngest daughter had a wedding last year. And I, I look at him on the way out And I I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Empty nest. And he looked at me with a tear in his eye and said, we're all just going directly to heaven and you cannot look back. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to you. Whatever time or season you're in and, and whatever you will be in, praise the Lord for his goodness this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We thank you for this somewhat difficult text and uh, help us to apply it to our lives in whatever way you see fit. Ultimately, help us to be men and women who exude the radiance of your glory, who exude thankfulness and joy, who encourage our brothers and sisters who are suffering, who come alongside those who weep and weep with them, But ultimately, Lord, thank you for giving us a life that we can take great joy in and that we can lead others along to a kingdom that will not be shaken one day. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.